Well, I don't know about you, but there seems to just be this weight of, I don't know, it's like a cloud that just seems to be over us. Um, Not only are we still battling through whatever this post-COVID season is, but it sure seems like there's a lot of friends and family in my own life that are just struggling, struggling with health, uh, struggling with jobs, struggling with their kids in school. And we're starting to see the fallout now of a year and a half of kids trying to cope with COVID. And we're seeing how that mentally and emotionally affects us. And you know what, I hate to say this, but we're in it for the long haul. We're looking at living in this kind of world for at least the next three, maybe five years. At least that's what all the analysts are saying. But what I want to tell you is that there's hope in that. Now, you may not know this, but as a, as a pastor here at this church, I also serve on a committee for the uh, United Methodist Church here in the West Ohio Conference that helps to give out money for grants for churches that are looking for, to do something unique or new in ministry. And it's a joy to be on that team, but as I sat on that board this week and we're talking about just the state of the church in general, you know, we're finding that this is hitting churches just as hard as it's hitting businesses and schools. In fact, maybe even harder. In fact, most nonprofits are being hit really hard. And I want to reiterate a couple things before we get into the rest of this message uh, because I want to show you how not only does this affect us as a church, but how it's affecting me personally uh, as a human being and as your pastor. You know, the sad reality is most churches are struggling. In fact, nobody is doing well. And what we're seeing right now is that the number of people that are no longer in attendance uh, for whatever reason the reality is they're, they're not coming back to in-house attendance, and that's true across the entire United States of America. And what we've realized, along with every other church in America, is that as people are, are not coming, they're also not giving. And so that radically affects our budgets in the ways in which we can do ministry in the church. And so as I looked at, at our budget with our team, who did a marvelous job of really putting together a clear picture of this is where we are, and, and this is what we have in reserves, and, and the reality is if we keep going the way we're going, we only have maybe two to three months left as a church. And so it dawned on me that, you know, God is inviting us into something really scary, but also awesome at the same time. And so God put it on my heart to say, you know, Kevin, can you step out in faith and and can you trust God in this to see if he is really truly going to do something amazing? And so this last Friday began a new pay period for me where I went from full time at this church to one quarter time. And that means a whole bunch of things happen. All of a sudden, that great vision I had for what God wants to do and the amount of money we're able to free up so that we can move forward in the vision, although that's exciting, it got really scary. And I don't know if you've ever been in this place with your faith where you step out and you know it's the right thing to do or you know what the next step is, but it's still scary. And if you've ever felt that way, guess what? You're in the company of a great number of people who have great faith but also can feel the emotion of it. And so today, as we get into the story, I want to show you how you and I can better deal with some of the storms that we're facing in this world right now. You know, one of the things God is showing me is that what he wants to do in my life is radical, just like what he wants to do in your life is radical. And sometimes we have to step outside of ourselves, or the boat, if you will, in order to experience that. But you know what? Let's start over. Let's go back to a place where we all felt safe and secure. So go back to your childhood for a minute. So when I was a kid, I remember the best thing ever is when dad would bring home the refrigerator box or something, and we we would make a fort or a house. And so, you know, as a kid, it was so fun to just dream and play. And I watched my three kids. They can take nothing and make something so great out of it. So 
here's our water for the day. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I, I always thought it was so cool to see the boats in the San Diego Harbor. And when I was in high school, I actually got to go in a sailboat, and it was the most exciting experience to get in the sailboat and have it go up on one side, and I got to be the counterbalance. Well, today, this is my boat. This is our ocean. And as I put this together, I want you to picture like it might have been for you as a kid. You know, we, we didn't have all the cool stuff that kids have today, and so we had to make do. So here is my sail. Here is my boat. And, and oh, oh, I got to have a paddle. Oh, yeah. There we go. All right. And, uh, let's do this. So... You know, here is this story in the midst of, of Matthew where the disciples have just spent this incredible time with Jesus. And it's almost ridiculous, you know, because as we're sitting here dreaming about what it was like being a kid and just pretending and playing, you know, you and I also know that there's a lot more seriousness to what's happening in the world around us. And so although it's nice to go back and be a kid again, the reality is we're facing some of the same challenges that Jesus and his disciples faced. The story Jeff read you doesn't begin at that part of the story. It actually goes back a little bit further to a couple days earlier when Jesus gets word that his cousin and close friend, John the Baptist, was killed by Herod. And as Jesus is trying to escape that memory in that moment, and he wants to go spend time with God to rejuvenate and come back to himself, Word gets out and people run ahead and they already have been waiting for him in this place that's in seclusion. So as Jesus shows up to go spend time with God, here's 5,000, 6,000 people, maybe more. And he spends the entire day healing people and showing them God's love. And by the time it's, the day is running out of time and, and the light is fading, the disciples turn to him and they say, Jesus, you know what? We got all these people here and there, there's nowhere for them to stay the night. There's no food. You need to send them home. And Jesus says, no, you're going to feed them. And out of their miserable little packs, they pull out five loaves of bread and two probably fish. Maybe they're good, maybe they're not. And Jesus takes them and blesses them, and they become a meal for over 5,000 people. And it says that they were filled beyond capacity. The next scene is Jesus to get in the boat, go to the other side. He'll meet them there. He's going to take care of the crowds and send them on their way now that they're filled. And then he's going to go spend time with God. Now, I love the beginning of this because I don't know about you, but my life and my schedule always is set ahead of time. And then as I start to get into it, it always changes. It's as if God has another plan in place. Jesus' plan was to go be alone with God, and it was interrupted by an opportunity to minister to people. And then he breaks away to go spend time with God. Meanwhile, the disciples get in their boat, and they're headed across the sea, and it's evening time. Probably one of the more scary times to go sailing. Now remember, this is a, a day and age where they had sails and they had oars and they could paddle their way. And as they're trying to cross this great magnitude of water, they get about halfway across when a storm begins pushing them back and the headwinds are too strong. And the disciples begin to lose hope and, and lose heart and they're paddling and they're tired and they're frustrated. And if you can think about some of the storms you might be facing in your life, you're probably tired too. I know my arms hurt from all the paddling right now. And it seems like we are trying so hard to move upstream, but we just can't get past the wind and the waves. 
And what I love about this story is it takes a turn at this moment. Jesus, who has been praying on top of this hill, has been watching this thing unfold the whole time. And the next thing we see is Jesus walks out to them on the water. Now, I don't know quite what that looks like, but it says that the wind and the waves were, were so violent that the boat was being thrown about. The disciples are paddling, trying to make their way across. They can't make any headway, so it must have been a rough storm. But somehow Jesus is walking on the water, and I don't know if as he walks, the water becomes like crystal glass or if he's able to maneuver around the waves. But either way, Jesus shows up. And as he does, they see him from a distance, and they're frightened because no one walks on water. But Peter begins to see something out of the spray of the ocean and in the darkness of night, and he says, you know, that, that shape looks somewhat familiar. Jesus, is it you? And if it is, tell me to come to you. Peter steps out of the boat onto the water, and he too is able to stand on the water. And as he makes his way to Jesus, something radical happens. The wind starts to take his mind off of Jesus. And all of a sudden, he's overcome by the wind and the waves, and he begins to look at his surroundings and the storm that he's in, and all of a sudden, reality hits, and he shifts his faith. Now, this is important. Because this is something I'm realizing in my own life. You know, as Friday hit and we're doing this new concept at the church where the pastor is, is giving up his salary. I wasn't asked to do it. I, I'm choosing to do it. Because I feel like God wants to do something in my life that, that is scary and new, but he, he's not done with this church yet. He wants to move us forward and to reach new people. The 46%, or I'm sorry, 64% that do not have a church home in our, in our area. And as I step into that, I wonder, God, did I make the right decision? Have you ever second-guessed? You know, as Peter's standing outside the boat, and he's starting to sink, do you think he's second-guessing? Like, this was a bad idea, God. But then he's reminded that it wasn't a bad idea. It's a great idea. Because Jesus rushes over, and he grabs Peter's hand, and Peter instantly is elevated back on top of the water. Peter changes his focus back to what really matters, and that's what God wants to do in his life. And the next scene, we see them in the boat, and the storm is now calm. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I misposition my faith, or I put my faith in the wrong thing. It's not a question not having faith. You and I all have faith. But sometimes we put it in the wrong thing, and so we put it in what we think the storm is going to do to us. And we start to look around, and we start to think, man, the waves are really high. My arms are so tired. If I fall in the water, I might drown. Instead of thinking, you know what? Jesus told me to get in the boat and go across this lake. There must be a purpose on the other side. Now, in this particular story, Jesus makes a comment to Peter. He says, Peter, you, you've, you have little faith, or, or you who have misplaced your faith. You put your faith in the storm and what the storm might do to you instead of your faith in me and what I can do for you. And it makes me think of another story I want to tell you. Earlier in Matthew, there's a great story where Jesus is working with a group of people in Capernaum. And Capernaum is a very famous, famous city because not only does this become Jesus' second home after Nazareth, but it's where he meets Matthew, the tax collector, where he meets John, Andrew, and Peter. Four of his disciples are met in this town, and they begin to follow him and become 
this incredible group of people that will end up changing the entire world. It's in Capernaum that he's speaking with a group of people about uh, the resurrection and about new life through him and what God wants to do with people, enter into their lives and show them that they are loved and accepted and desired by him. And as he's doing so, this man interrupts this meeting. And this man is not of any lineage of the area. He's actually a Roman that's been brought in, and he's a centurion. He's in charge of a legion of somewhere between 60 and maybe 100 men. And he comes to Jesus, and he pleads with Jesus. It's like he pushes people aside. And he says, Jesus, listen, one of my my great workers, my, my person who serves me well and has been with my family for years, has been in a horrible accident, and they're paralyzed and in pain. And Jesus interrupts him and he says, I'll, I'll come to your house immediately. And, the, and I get the picture that the man then kind of gets down on his hands and knees before Jesus and he says, no, no, I, I could never ask you to come to my house. I, I, I'm, I'm humiliated to have the Son of God come into my house. But Jesus, I'm here because I'm a man who is under authority and has men under my authority. When I give an order, it's obeyed. And when someone gives me an order, it's obeyed. And so, Jesus, I know that you, as the Son of God, are under authority of the Father, and that what you say goes. And so if you just say the word, he'll be healed, and that's enough for me. Jesus turns to the crowd, and he says, Nowhere have I seen such great faith, not even in Israel. So in contrast to Peter, we have this Roman man who has incredible faith, but really the difference is what our faith is placed in. Now look, we can't change our environment all the time. We, we can't change our surroundings. We, we can't always impact the things that happen to us or our families or the loved ones around us. But what we can do is we can look to where we're going to put our faith. Sometimes I look at the storm, and the storm is so big and scary, I put my faith in what the storm could do. I say, what if? What if that storm takes my life? What if that storm robs me of all my money? What if that storm uh, ends up leading me a place that I I can't go or I don't want to go? Or do I flip it around and say, you know what? I understand that that storm is big and scary. I understand that the situation I'm facing, either in my family or my own life, is scary. But I'm going to redirect that focus to what if God has something in the midst of this for me. Now, we might say, well, why would Jesus lead us into a storm if he also has the power to take the storm down to nothing and remove it? And that's a hard question. Right? We use the question all the time, why, why if God is so loving, does he allow bad things to happen to good people? That's a great question. And the only answer I could think of is this. God wants to lead us into something so that we might grow in our own faith and understanding of him. Let me explain that. The disciples just watched Jesus spend an entire day healing 6,000 plus people, right? The scriptures say there were 5,000 in attendance plus women and children. As they're watching him do these miracles, they're saying, wow, this this guy's really something. You know, I, I think he is the son of God. 
And then later that evening, they're sitting there going, well, how do we deal with all these people just logistically? How do we feed them? And what are we going to do? And Jesus takes the bread and the fish, and he multiplies them in such capacity that it overflows, and people are so full, there's some left over. And the disciples are bumping each other going, see, there's something special about this guy. Did you see what he did here? And meanwhile, Jesus is saying, look, you, you, you know something of faith, but you haven't owned the faith yet. And all of a sudden, we enter into exactly what this entire sermon series we're going to be doing from now until December is going to be about. The stories that shape us. Now the disciples have to go through their own experience so that they can be shaped. And while they're on that boat and the storm is big and the waves are high and they can't make any headway, but they know that they're supposed to go to this destination, but they can't seem to make much traction and it's overwhelming. Jesus shows up. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times when I'm in the storm and I, I don't feel like Jesus is next to me. Do you ever feel that way? Have you ever stopped to think that he's still there watching over you? Just like he was on top of that mountain looking down on the disciples that are going through this storm and, and maybe his prayers redirected towards them. Maybe he saw that and he knew that he had to walk in the midst of that storm and meet them there. And so we have a God who, who not only is well aware of our situations, but then wants to come and walk and meet us in the midst of it. And then when we see him, we have an opportunity to not just know of him, but to know him personally. Up to this point, the disciples knew of Jesus in his ability to manipulate health and to manipulate food. But now they had to experience him manipulating a storm in their own lives so that they could have faith. Now, look, I don't think God purposely causes bad things to happen. But I think God will use anything that comes up as an opportunity for you and I to not only know him personally, but experience him in a way where our faith grows and now we have hope. So when you go through storm after storm in life and you keep finding your hope in Jesus, guess what? The storms become easier to negotiate. They don't rob us of all our faith in what we have. So let me tell you something neat that happened this week. My brother-in-law is he's running for a political position in our town, and uh, he's been invited to all these different groups to talk to people about his political views. And uh, I find it funny because every now and then he'll call me up and say, hey, will you come with me? And I think, you know, I, I, I can be a supporter of you because I love you, Aaron. And so the other night, we got invited to go to this particular family's home that had a bunch of families over, and we're all hanging out, and it just so happened that their circle are police officers. And one of my favorite and least favorite questions ever to be asked, especially in a party situation, is, what do you do for a living? Because usually when I say I'm a pastor, either two things happen. Either people go, oh, that's great, or people go, oh, crap hide the alcohol, you know, clean up your language. Let's, but what was so neat about this group is we began talking just about life. And then all of a sudden we're talking about faith. And all of a sudden we're talking about what it's like to be a police officer in the world. And, and why would somebody be a police officer except to make a difference and change this world, to, to take a stand against evil? And I began talking about this church and, and the impact and how unique it is. And of course, when I say it's called Church in the Mall and it's an indoor shopping mall, people are always curious. 
And when I told him that the reason we built this church in the place we did is because we felt God putting on our hearts that we needed to reach people that wouldn't set foot into a traditional church setting. And I can think of nothing more untraditional than a mall to put a church in. And at the time, it did really well. And now we're in a new season where we're trying to figure it out. And I'm explaining to these police officers that we have now started this new campaign where I've reduced my salary to give us money to move forward. That we're spending extra time and energy engaging and talking with young people and finding out what, what is it that they need in their spiritual walk so that we can be more effective in inviting those kinds of people into a relationship with Jesus Christ so that they can have a church home where they belong. Now, I kid you not, in the middle of of drinks and talking and sharing life, this police officer stands up, opens his wallet, pulls out money, and hands it to me. And I looked at him, and I said, what's this for? And he says, put it towards the church. And I looked at this guy, and I thought, that's just crazy talking. So I, I left it on the table. Later that night, as we're getting ready to leave, he grabs the money, and he comes up, and he grabs me, and he says, this is for the church. I want to see what God's going to do next. So I thought that was interesting, that in the midst of a storm where I'm wondering, did I make the right decision, is God through with us yet, that somebody that doesn't know anything about me or this church would hear a story and then want to give money to continue the ministry and missions of this church. I think that's God reminding us that he's not through here yet. That the storms you and I are facing are ones that we can find new hope in as God begins to use them to become the stories that shape us. The opportunity where we no longer put our faith in the storm and what it might be able to do, but we put our faith in God and what he is able to do. Jesus sees you where you are. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get to you, even walk on water. And then he's going to invite you out of your safety net, your boat, to join him there. And even if you fail and begin to sink, Jesus is going to reach out and embrace you so that you can rise back up. My friends, if that was true for them and that's true for us, then what can we not face? but a God who loves us. With that, I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to grab your communion cup. We're going to do something unique today. Not only are we going to celebrate communion, for those of you that are home, go ahead and grab your elements, but I want you to to stick around because not only will we take communion together, but then I want to play a video for you. And during that video, I want you just to simply take a moment. And I want you to define the storm you're in. Now, there are three-by-five cards on the tables. If you want to grab one of those in a pen, if you think better writing, go ahead. If you just want to think it in your head, that's fine. But what I want you to do is I want you to think about the storm and list all the things that are overwhelming to you right now. And then I want you to do this. I want you to pray and say, God, these are the things that are overwhelming and I'm afraid that I may have put my faith in them. Help me to put my faith in you. Help me to see what you want to do to overcome this storm I'm in. 
And then as we give thanks to God, we will end our time together. Now, this song is a very special song, and it means a lot to me. Not only is it a contemplative song, but I got to hear it this week while I was praying over a dear friend of mine, Brian Harkness, who is a pastor in Hebron who has been in the hospital all week. His body has turned totally septic, and it's very touchy right now. But as I'm in there praying with his family and some other pastor friends, our chaplain, who is a part of the Licking Memorial Hospital system, comes in, Jeff, and he lays down his phone next to Brian's head on the pillow, and he played this song. And it was one of the most incredible worship services I've ever been to, to be in a hospital surrounded by a group of people that were willing to say, we understand the reality of the storm, but we're going to put our faith in Jesus. That no matter what happens, we will not let it overcome us because we're not going to misalign our, our faith in Jesus. So my friends, take the cup and go ahead and pull out the wafer. And whenever we do this, we're reminded that Christ said, this is my body broken for you. It's the gift of absolute love. Take and eat in remembrance of Christ's love for you. Take the cup and, as always, open it very gently. And as you look at the juice inside, Christ reminds us that this is a representation of his blood being poured out. That you were worth a sacrifice. His very love, a child of the living God. As you and I stand before God, he looks at our past, our present, and our future, and what he sees is Jesus Christ who paid it all for you. There is not a single sin. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Please drink in remembrance of Christ's love for you. And as I have the team cue up this song, would you please just take a moment. You can be thankful. You can write down the things in your personal storm right now. And then I want you to be able to give those things over by saying, Jesus, this is what I used to believe, but what I believe now is that you're a God who sees me. You're a God who's willing to walk even on water to come get me in the midst of my storm, and that you're a God who can calm my storm. My friends, take the next few minutes. Indulge yourself with God and experience what it is that he might say to you.